0: Welcome to Pursuing Quality Long-Term Care, an educational podcast for individuals needing long-term care and their families. Join us as we talk with national experts and advocates about strategies you can use in the pursuit of quality long-term care. Although LGBTQ community members have the same rights as all other long-term care consumers, they often face hardships such as discrimination and stigma that their straight and cisgender counterparts do not. In this episode, we are joined by Cheryl Wayland, Director of Special Initiatives at SAGE, to discuss some of the challenges these residents face, what questions LGBTQ plus older adults should ask when comparing facilities, and best practices for facilities to train staff and maintain an inclusive community. Despite the challenges that exist, Cheryl shares some encouraging indicators of progress among facilities in states across the country.
1: Hi everyone, I'm Jocelyn Bogdan with Consumer Voice. Today, we're gonna be talking with Cheryl Wayland from SAGE. SAGE is the largest organization advocating on behalf of and improving the lives of LGBTQ elders, and they've been doing it since the 1970s. Um, uh, You know, as we're getting started today, I just think it's important to note that the LGBTQ long-term care community has the same rights as all other nursing home residents, including the rights to a dignified existence, the right to be free from all discrimination and harassment, the right to be free from abuse, to be treated with respect, the right to privacy, and often face the same exact issues and concerns that all other residents face. But there are additional concerns that members of the LGBTQ plus long term care community face in their daily lives and I think is with the greater community, there are both setbacks and hurdles as well as progress um, that we see. And so we're so happy, Cheryl, that you're joining us today. Um, SAGE, along with the Human Rights Campaign, recently released their Long-Term Care Quality Index for 2023, um, which is an assessment tool promoting equitable care for the LGBTQ plus community. Um, and having looked over it myself, I think it looks like there's been progress in the past few years. Um, but before we get into what that looks like, I just wanted to start off by asking you um, what does it mean to be LGBTQ in long term care? What are some of the biggest issues that you see residents facing?
2: That's a wonderful question. You know, for many LGBTQ older adults, we've oftentimes heard that one of their biggest concerns is, you know, should I need a long-term care community as I age? Will I be able to find a community that accepts me for who I am, that recognizes, you know, if I have a partner, that they're recognized, they're welcome to visit me, uh, that my family, you know, is supported, and that I won't face discrimination and stigma. And so these are very common concerns that we oftentimes hear from older LGBTQ plus people. And when I first started in this work in 2008, one of the stories that I oftentimes reflect on is in a meeting with a group of older lesbian women, uh, I asked the question, you know, should you one day need long-term care? What are you going to do? And the room fell silent. And finally, one of the women spoke up and said, well, I guess should that day come, I'll just need to move move to a new city or state that is more accepting of me as a lesbian woman so that I know that I can find a place where I'm, you know, welcomed and and where I won't face discrimination and and potentially abuse and neglect. So, you know, those are some of the common concerns that we hear from our LGBTQ plus older adults.
1: Yeah. Um that I mean that that makes a lot of sense. I, you know, that brings me sort of to you know thinking about the the population or the city that she was in, um, what sort of, I guess, additional hurdles, and I mean, maybe that's one of them, um, do people who aren't just part of the LGBTQ plus community, but who also are people of color, people who live in poverty, people who live in rural areas, or even just very unfriendly areas, um, you know, a lot of those populations face issues when moving into nursing homes, regardless of their gender identity um, or sexual orientation. Um, But I imagine the issues that other members of the LGBTQ plus population face are magnified for those populations.
2: Right. And that's one of the things that we really try to stress in our work is to think about the intersectionality of you know, people accessing services, I think especially long-term care services and supports. So if we think about the the you know that lens of intersectionality, if you're an older adult, a person of color aging with a disability, who also is a member of the LGBTQ plus community, there may be multiple barriers that you're facing. And, and so it's really important that we look at the whole person. And, and make sure that we're taking all of those identities into consideration when we're working with folks. So we need to think about, you know, our cultural awareness, you know, across all of those identities that a, a person holds. You know, what are their specific needs? Are they facing, you know, a number of, of different challenges and barriers to accessing care? How can we be there to best support them? So those are all things that we really encourage folks to think about and, you know, make sure that um, they're really providing competent services and supports for folks.
1: How, how large do you estimate this population um, in long-term care to be? And I realize that might be a little bit difficult because I imagine there are people who aren't out or who are, you know, quiet about their identities, but what do, what do we think we're talking about, I guess? Yeah,
2: you know, that, again, another excellent question. And I wish I could give you like (laughs) this number of LGBTQ plus people are uh, receiving long-term care services. But the reality is, is that we have not done a good job yet of collecting data. And Mm -hmm. when I talk about collecting data, I mean, demographic data. So giving people the opportunity to identify as um, LGBTQ plus when they're accessing services, just like we do other data, such as race, ethnicity, gender. Um, You know, all of those things are are questions that we ask at some point during an intake process or an application process, or when we're doing community needs assessments. That type of data is still largely missing around sexual orientation and gender identity. What we do know is that approximately, you know, three, anywhere from three to, to four, 5% of older adults identify as LGBTQ. We also know that LGBTQ plus older adults are less likely to have children and more likely to live alone. So if you take those things into consideration, you know, we. We oftentimes talk about that because of that lack of support to help them remain at home and age at home, should they have a fall, break a hip, need long-term care services, they may not be able to return home and live independently and may have to go into a, a skilled nursing community. So we estimate that there are a high number of LGBTQ plus older adults who are residing, you know, in our long-term care communities today. Because of that lack of data, we oftentimes hear from long-term care communities that, well, we don't have LGBTQ plus elders here. Right. And that oftentimes causes me to pause and say, do you know that for sure? Or is it? that we haven't given people the opportunity to disclose, to share what's important to them. And, you know, until we give them that opportunity to identify, then we may not know that they are LGBTQ+.
1: You know, it's interesting in you talking about the lack of having children and that support you know it, it you know you went into the sort of it you know they can't end up coming home or it also you know just made me think about it makes it difficult in finding the right kind of nursing home and also it makes it difficult you know we saw so much through the pandemic the importance of visitation um and we at Consumer Voice tried to talk a lot about the fact that There are a lot of residents who don't have visitors, um, you know, and so when we talk about the importance and need for visitation, it's very true and it's there, but there's also this whole population that needs other kinds of supports and needs to ensure they're active and everything. And I, until you said that, I hadn't really thought about how that impacts this community. So, yeah.
2: um, And, you know, that brings up another story that I heard, you know, it was from this same group of women that I shared it with, shared Mm -hmm. about earlier. They had a a friend of theirs who needed to go into a long-term care community. And this was, again, several years ago, but it's still pertinent today because it really helps to, I think, give us a picture of people's true fears and concerns. This woman was sitting around the table, you know, in the community room, and it was game day, and they were playing a game. And somebody brought up a discussion around what it meant to be uh, homosexual. And one of the the men in the group said, you know, basically started making derogatory comments about people who are gay. And this really brought up a sense of fear for this woman sitting at the table with her neighbors. And because of that conversation, she became afraid that if she invited her friends to come and visit her, that she might be somehow outed as lesbian. And if she was outed, this could cause problems among her neighbors. And her biggest fear is that she might be asked to move, to move out of this place she was now calling home
1: Home.
2: because she no longer was accepted and, and felt, you know, that she would face discrimination. So she told her friends, do not visit me anymore. And you know what we know that people need connection. They need connection yes. to their their family caregivers, their their larger support network. and for LGBTQ plus people, this may oftentimes be families of choice. So those friends and, and right. close close relationships that we have with people that you know keep us connected to community. So you know that's a, another big and and true concern for LGBTQ plus older adults.
1: Yeah, you know that, you know, it it makes me think of when, you know, I was um when when I was reading over um your long-term care quality index, there was an example or a story of um a lesbian couple that you know, they were, it it was a very positive story. They were taking tours. They were visiting various facilities, you know, and, you know, trying to like kind of suss out like where they would feel the most comfortable. Um, and, and it was a great story because it sounds like they found a facility that really worked for them and they were happy about what this was going to look like. And as I was reading it, like hooray for them. Um, but you know, most people when they enter facilities don't have that level of choice, whether it's because they're entering in an emergency situation, they're coming in from a hospital stay, or if it's because the area in which they live doesn't have many options for them. Um, what, you know, and, and again, I think no matter where you are, you, you obviously could walk into a situation like the one where you just, just described, even if you feel maybe like you are comfortable, you could find out that that might not be correct. Um, but what, what should people do when they're looking for a facility in, even if they don't have many options, what mm-hmm. questions should they be asking or should their loved ones be asking for them? Um, what should they be looking for and discussing in advance?
2: You know, we, we encourage folks when they're looking at a long-term care community that, you know, they, they interview the community, right? You know. Do you serve LGBTQ plus older adults? Have you had residents who identify as LGBTQ? Plus? Uh, do you have staff that identify as LGBTQ? Plus? So, those are some basic questions that we can ask up front. And then we also encourage folks to look at their non discrimination policy for residents and staff. Do they have a non discrimination policy that's inclusive of sexual orientation and gender identity? Are they providing staff training on a wide array of of cultural competency, um, you know, expectations, including LGBTQ plus, you know, if they encounter a concern with a resident or staff, is there a process for voicing that concern and for being heard to help ensure that, that they're not facing, you know, discrimination or abuse and neglect? Um, or bullying and harassment, you know, from staff or other residents. So those are all important things that we encourage folks to look at. And through the Long-Term Care Equality Index, uh, on our website at thelei.org, you can actually find a guide uh, that's directed for older adults and their family members to help them find an LGBTQ plus inclusive long-term care community that has a series of questions that folks can, can go through and look at to, to help them as they, they make, you know, these very important life decisions.
1: Yeah, that's a great resource. And, you know, as, as you were talking about, um, the um, policies, the, you know, resident non-discrimination policies and including gender identity and sexual orientation, it reminded me that in, in your long-term care quality index um, from 2023, I think um, you you found some pretty optimistic data in terms of seeing positive change, even from 2021. So can we talk about that a little bit? Um, It's nice to talk about something positive.
2: Yeah, yeah, sure. You know, uh, I think what was really exciting for us is that this was our first official um, validated survey for the Long-Term Care Quality Index. And we had over 200 long-term care communities that took part in this first survey. And the The 200 communities represent communities across 34 states. And so, you know, it was really exciting to see states where we may not have expected to see participation, including places like Florida, Texas, Alabama, Ohio, right? You know, Mm -hmm. so places we oftentimes think it's, you know, large metropolitan areas in in New York and California, um, where you're going to see more LGBTQ plus inclusivity. But we were seeing this in, you know, pockets of the country where we've also seen a lot of more negative press around LGBTQ plus supports and awareness. So it's really encouraging to see this level of, of support coming from really all across the country. And what uh, some of our, our key findings included, 90 percent of those participating in the LEI this first time had documented uh, non-discrimination regarding sexual orientation and gender identity in their resident uh, non-discrimination policies. So this is really encouraging. And it's something that, you know, we encourage and and almost look for um, as, mm-hmm. as kind of a, if we're going to receive services from you, we're going to look for this. And if we don't see LGBTQ plus inclusive non-discrimination statements, then we may go down the road to the next community until we find that place that has this information. Um, so even if a, a long-term care community is well-intended, you know they want to serve the LGBTQ plus hmm. community, if you don't have these policies in right. place, then we may pass you by. And, and so that's why, you know, the long-term care quality index is so important so that we can yeah. work with these communities to uplift the ones that, you know, want to work with LGBTQ plus older adults and, and to really embrace inclusion.
1: So that kind of brings me to, can, can we talk a little bit, and I know this is like a very broad topic, but um mm-hmm. a little bit about best practices. Um You, you know, you talked about staff training um if we could talk a little bit about what that looks like but also you know to me in like thinking about this issue um the other big thing is really resident education and that sort of goes back to the example that you gave earlier you know you know gentlemen speaking you know very out of turn um but you know what you know what kind of should that look like um and what you know, I mean, I think, you know, to say what should um, LGBTQ plus residents expect, you know, I mean, they should expect to be able to come in and have all of their rights honored. Um, but, you know, what, in terms of that, in terms of resident education, like what, what is the best sort of case scenario? And, you know, wh- what are we really looking for in that?
2: I'm just pausing to make sure that my dog's remain oh. calm. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. So as part of the long-term care quality index, we have uh, four major areas that we're looking at, and it starts with foundation policies. This includes non-discrimination policies for uh, not only residents, but their families, as well as staff, and training criteria. Then we move into um, criteria that's looking at you know, how do we best support residents? Do we have supports in place that, you know, really um, make sure that we're providing services that are LGBTQ plus competent? And that's really taking the training and then putting it into practice. So what are we learning? What are the specific needs? And then we also have resident engagement and community outreach, as well as um, policies to support uh, health care and you know, benefits for LGBTQ plus uh, employees. When we think about residents and the needs of residents, it's important that we have uh, a grievance policy in place mm-hmm. so that should anyone who's entering into a long-term care community face discrimination, harassment you know, from another staff or resident, that people have a way to voice that concern. Right. And it's important that residents understand what that means. You know, oftentimes I've heard of an, you know, places saying, Well, we really can't control what a resident does, thinks, says. Right. Of course, we can't control what they think, right? But we can put standards in place so that all residents know mm-hmm. this is what it's this is what it's expected to live here. And that's treating all of our neighbors from a place of dignity and respect. And if a person can't adhere to those community standards, you know, then we have a way of working with that resident. Right. So, you know, the we're not placing the onus on the resident who is being harassed or facing, you know, discrimination but we're putting it back on that staff member or that resident who's really causing the disruption and, and working with them to make sure they understand what the community standards are and and how to be a good neighbor. Um, so I think that's important. And it's also important that, you know we take time to share and provide education, you know to the residents. Um, right. Most residents today, know of a family member who is LGBTQ plus. We developed what I believe is is an amazing toolkit with PFLAG, who provides uh, services and supports for family and friends of LGBTQ plus youth. And we actually designed a toolkit called Grandparents Coming Out in Support of Their LGBTQ plus Grandchildren. And this is a toolkit that I believe can be used as a discussion guide, you know, right. inside of long-term care communities. So we're helping grandparents to better support and, and really come out as allies for their family members. And in turn, this helps them better understand some of their neighbors who may right. also identify as LGBTQ+.
1: That's fabulous. That's that's really cool. The One thing I want to just also, I guess, mention and bring up in, in that context is that, You know, I think whenever we we say LGBTQ plus, it almost homogenizes a population that is very different. And I can imagine that there would be residents in a facility who who are more comfortable having a neighbor who is a lesbian um, versus a neighbor who may be transgender. Because I think, you know, when you look at the direction the country has moved in, you know, we sort of accept some things before others. Um, So I just, I sort of want to clarify, and I'm sure you could do this better than me, that not everyone who is in this population is going to walk into a facility and have the same experience or the same experience as their neighbor who might carry with them a different type of identity. Um,
2: Yeah, that, that is true. And, you know, I think society as a whole, we're still learning more about what it means to identify as transgender and more than likely, we've all met someone who does identify as transgender. And they may be our neighbor, a friend, a relative. And you know, the main thing is they're just living their authentic lives. And when it comes to long-term care, you know this is a time in life when you know people are are turning to long-term care communities, and especially skilled living, skilled living. From a place of need and support, right. and you know, so how do we really support folks? Um, we have another guide that I think can be very useful for long-term care communities through the National Resource Center on LGBTQ+ plus Aging. Actually, we have two new guides. One is on how to be an ally for transgender older adults. And this can provide very good um, education and, and awareness for employees and residents as well as family members. And then a second guide that just came out is trauma-informed care for transgender older adults. And again, this can be very useful for staff uh, who may be working with someone who identifies as transgender. And you know, it's important that we provide the tools and resources that our employees need so that they can be successful in the care that they're giving. Uh, and on that point, we also have our Sage Care Training Program, um, which also provides cultural competency training uh, for staff. And so we would really encourage folks that are listening or watching this podcast today to you know, take the time to, to see what resources are available to help inform your staff and provide them with the best tools available so that they can provide the quality care that you expect.
1: Do you have any um, positive examples of um, culture changing within a facility? Because um, I, I can imagine that you know, in the past 10 years, there has probably been a tremendous amount of learning just through general culture that has happened for both staff members and residents. Um, So do we have any, you know?
2: Yeah, there's, you know, uh, one of the new things that I've started saying is with challenge comes opportunity. And, you know, when I first, first started doing this work in 2008, I would offer to come in and do presentations and attend conferences. And I was oftentimes turned away you know, people weren't inviting me in. They wow. weren't welcoming us to, to come in and, and do this type of work. And today we're being invited. We're being asked. Um, and what we know is that, you know, by and large, we really do believe that most long-term care communities and older adult providers want to be inclusive and welcoming. Just, you know, the example of our 200 communities that stepped up mm-hmm. to take part of the Long-Term Care quality Index. You know, these are communities that are really leading in this work. And that's a positive example. You know, they're yeah. stepping to the plate and saying, we are here, we see you, we want to support LGBTQ plus older adults, and we're going to help lead the way and show what is possible. So I do think... For as many negative stories as we may hear, there's more positive. But as so many of us know, it's the negative that right. catches the headlines, that you know, uh, really draws attention to folks. And it's oftentimes these positive stories that that don't get heard. And so lifting up, you know, the the stories are really important uh we do have some examples uh vid- there's a video through the report that was shared with the long-term care quality index that you know profiles two women and and shows their journey in receiving services and support so i think that's really important um, to take a look at those
1: yeah i mean one of one of the last questions i was going to ask was actually you know what what should the greater community be doing um to ensure you know inclusivity and equity um but I think that's almost a very good answer to that, you know, just sort of uplifting, you know, the positive change that we've seen um, to sort of continue pushing for it. Um, but I you know, the other question I wanted to end with,, um, you know, and you spoke a little bit to this earlier, but what should LGBTQ+ residents do? when their rights are violated because of their gender identity or their sexual orientation and I know you referenced the grievance process um, and you know we always encourage residents, Mm -hmm. you know to to file a grievance with their facility. Um, I really like though the way you described that and talked about it and you know putting the onus on the person who has the problem the other resident and not on themselves. But, you know, also to reach out to their long-term care ombudsman, um, you know, if it comes to it to file a complaint with the state survey agency. Um, But are there other steps um, that you would encourage um, this population of residents to take in these situations um, and, you know, sort of what should they be asking for and demanding in those situations? Right,
2: you know, I I think even before we need long-term care, it's so important that we establish that network. You know, who's going to be there with us to help support us, you know, should that time come? Who's going to serve as our durable powers of attorney? Who can be there as an advocate and an ally with us should we need to to one day move into long-term care? And it's really important to have these types of discussions early so that we know we have people there, you know, supporting us along this, this journey. So we're not doing it alone. And and as you said, you know, establishing relationships with your long-term care ombudsman is critical. I would highly encourage folks that, you know, if they have a loved one that's in a long-term care community or if they themselves are in a long-term care community, find out who your ombudsman is and, you know, ask to visit with them and share what their concerns may be uh, and just make sure that they have someone there that they can reach out to. And then, you know, I would also encourage folks, we, we have a hotline uh, through SAGE and it's the SAGE National LGBTQ Plus Elder Hotline. And if you give me just a minute, I should have had this number pulled up, but I will find it for you. Um, I would encourage folks to call the hotline and, you know, have someone that they can speak with That may be able to help them identify other resources available in their local community, um, such as an elder care attorney, their statewide LGBTQ uh, um, equality group or a a local um, sage partner that that they could reach out to. And that hotline number is eight, seven, seven, three, six, zero five, four, two, eight. And that number is available twenty four seven and would be a resource for folks who are needing to find support.
1: That's great. And I also, I mean, we say this on a lot of podcasts, but bringing up, again, the local long-term care ombudsman, um, if you need yours and are looking for them, you can visit our website at Consumer Voice, And if you go to the tab that says Get Help, you will find a map of the country and all of the states listed, and you can click on your state, either on the map or on the list, um, and it will take you to that information as well, because I think you're right, I think, you know, I mean, for any resident, you know, but certainly residents who are from a population that is often more disenfranchised than others, it is really important to sort of set up that relationship, um, and and know that there's somebody out there who can help you. so, Cheryl, this was more optimistic, I think, than I, I expected in some ways, um, which is great. Um, and I think, you know, and not to say there aren't many, many problems, but, you know, it is positive that as a country, we're slowly becoming more inclusive in many ways, mm-hmm. and it's it's really great to hear all the positive examples that you shared with us today. So thank you so yeah,
2: much. Thank you. And you know, we're just so grateful for the partnership and relationship that we have with Consumer Voice and many of the Ombudsman offices across the country. And you know, I would just add that if if your Ombudsman office hasn't had training. Uh, you know, please reach out to us and, you know, let us know that you're interested in training because it's really important that our volunteers, you know, again, have the skills and resources they need so that they can truly be an advocate and, and a friend to LGBTQ plus residents that they're supporting. So thank you for this opportunity.
1: Sure. And, and before we close out, I will just kind of echo that and say that the work you guys are doing is so important and so fabulous, and we are so grateful for it. So thank you so much.
0: Thank you. Thanks for joining us on Pursuing Quality Long-Term Care. This podcast is a program of the National Consumer Voice for Quality Long-Term Care. Make sure to visit our website, theconsumervoice.org slash pursuingquality, where you can subscribe to the podcast, follow us on Facebook and Twitter, and find more information and resources. If you enjoy the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next episode.